0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
1: Hang a map of a place you'll never go on your wall. Draw new streets.
2: Tear off a body of water. Wait for news crews to arrive.
0: Good morning, Nightvale.
2: Hello, everyone. My name is Meg Bashwinner, and I'm drinking a coconut LaCroix. I'm Symphony
1: Sanders, and I'm eating a delicious slice of pizza. I'm Hal Lublin, and I've had chips, a
0: little bit of beef jerky, and I'm drinking Essentia because I'm worth it.
2: You really are, Hal. You
0: really are. Thank you. Thank you. And this is Good Morning Night Vale. This is the show where people from Night Vale listen to Night Vale and talk about Night Vale to other people who also listen to Night Vale. And sometimes we talk to some of the other people who make Night Vale, and we listen to your theories about Night Vale. So basically, it's about within the wires.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this episode is called A Memory of Europe. Springtime brings with it pleasant memories of a long-ago trip to Europe – plus exciting news about the end of the world and important information about spiders.
2: Yep and what an episode it is. I, uh, th- this one is great. This one sticks out to me as one of the ones that I remember, uh, because I remember when Joseph wrote it and he had just gone on his ba- ba- big backpacking Europe and solo adventure. And this was something mm. that came out of it. And so it was like, kind of one of the first times I was seeing stuff from our life enter the podcast through the filter of the Joseph Ink writer brain. So it's kind of <laughs> cool. And now there's so much of that now, like there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages that like most of the Alice podcast is about our relationship. So like, there's so much, uh, so much of that, that is filtered into his work. And it's, it's, it's cool that, um, it has an audience now and, and that it, it is memorialized forever. All of our experiences, um, that have been now fictionalized which is great. Um, (laughs) A thing about this episode that I noticed is that that there's no big bad. Normally like there's episodes, they have like the big bad, it's street cleaning day. So this, it's like the, you know, there's some sort of thing that's out to get us. And really there isn't in this episode. Um, It starts with a plot update about like the, the city under lane five and the Apache tracker and the man in the tan jacket, but that like, there's nothing big and crazy. No big ripples in the, in the world happen there.
1: But I find that to be kind of lovely because, you know, it's so hard to have that tension of uh, something's going to get you, something bad is going to happen. And then there's this little, there's these little pools of relief where it's just like, oh, no, this is just a memory, talking about memories and about, uh, you know, life and something that you've experienced uh, instead. So I, I find that kind of lovely.
0: I agree a hundred percent. I think there it's this is such a dense podcast and such a dense world that it's constantly being built that that this one gives us a break from that in a in a big way, but also uh I, I think maybe that makes episodes like this stand out a bit more too, and it, maybe they stick with you because there, you don't have to track anything that happened before mm. if you If you've already heard the Man in the Tan jacket, then you appreciate that callback it's a really it's a really great callback but you know all the the european memories and and you know uh the, the i love the thesis statement of this episode it is my favorite one by far that that i connected to most personally so maybe that's why it's another reason why this episode stands out so much like i i kind of wanted to go can we not talk about anything specific that happens and just talk about overarching themes just because i i felt like the, Joseph hit something very important, uh, in, in his writing.
2: Yes. Yeah. The, the, the theme of the, the memory being something that is for you and something that you look back on, but it is not, it is not a factual testament to what happened. Um, and that, that doesn't really necessarily matter. Cause it is just what, how you remember it and how you hold it. Uh, and not necessarily about the the exact facts and feelings of the time. Um, I do want to talk about specific things, though. Um, yes, just because oh, yes, there sure. things get because things get so specific. We have all these new cities. Like for the past twenty-one episodes, they've been building the world of Nightvale. Vale, um, and then now we splash out to Francia and Loopnarp and Spitz, um, and which and, are so fun. Yeah, which yes. are new worlds that, that get built for us. Which is uh, yes, which is interesting to to see that that stretch out again, where it's like we have Nightvale, which is this world that is built within America. So it's built within the we you know take the, some of the existing pieces of America and build that into the the weird town that is Nightvale, and then mm-hmm. uh, now we're taking the existing walls of Europe and building those kind of into these different uh, Nightvalian uh, European cities.
1: Like, Francia, yeah. land of arches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, honestly, the first time I heard this, I thought of, like, McDonald's arches, not, like, actual, like, yeah. architectural arches, which goes to show you, like, what is going on in my stupid American brain. But Them, like, <laughs> them golden arches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I was just hungry. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's <laughs> actually pretty likely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk- but uh, – But thinking about, it just made me think of when I think of my memories of traveling and seeing the architecture of a different place, like, what do you notice when you travel? You know what I mean? Like, you notice the layout of a city, but then you're always trying to equate it to something else, right? You know, like, we were in Toronto, and, you know, people always say, Toronto is like this city, or it's like that city. And it's like, no, it's its own city. Right. You know, but you, we always try and draw these parallels, so I, I, I think that's interesting, like, to see what the view of a traveler uh, is.
0: I would argue that Americans in particular, who are the only travelers that en in, in mass, I, I have a lot of experience with and am one of, mm-hmm. that when you go somewhere, you're immediately struck by the things that are different. And that those are the things like, oh, I can't believe that here all the roofs are blue, but where I'm from, all the roofs are red. But then – you're you're there's a, a a lot of discomfort being somewhere you've never been before or that feels foreign. So you just try to go. Oh, this is just like Denver. That's okay. <laughs> it's almost like you're like uh like you're telling a child, "That's okay. It's just a coat on a chair. It's not a monster. That's familiar mm. to you. You know what that is. You've seen it a million times."
2: Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, though, Dublin is Europe's Boston. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, or or maybe boston is america's dublin sure either or um <laughs> i like i like dublin though yes do you not uh, like boston <laughs> I difference? was just gonna let that hang there. <laughs> we don't need to have a, we don't need to have
2: opinions about every place we go and everything we do. No, Boston's you know? all right. It's all right. Uh, it's but fine. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I agree with you how that we are trying to equate. And also, the thing about being an American is America is a very diverse place. It's diverse in its people and it's diverse in its landscape. It's diverse in its uh, it's infrastructure and cities and America is many different places. And then you go to Europe where everything, everything has such a distinct identity. It has Mm -hmm. its people and its architecture and it's, and it's all a bajillion years old and it is, you know, it's been there and it's established and then, uh, and it is all one thing. And so when you're an American, it's, it's hard to, to assimilate to that, to the like, Oh, it's just this one thing. Whereas, you know, when you, Go around the states And we, we've You know Symphony and I Have driven this whole country Several times mm-hmm. through And you can be In the desert And then the next day You're not anymore And next day You're yeah. at the beach Like it's It's crazy
1: <laughs> I have a
0: theory About this episode And that is That Cecil Has never traveled anywhere And that Whoa. He was ushered Into a room And like a fake moon landing They were like Now you are in Francia The land of arches <laughs> Uh, and like, but it's really poorly done. Like it's a series of elementary school play sets, but like a diorama. Yeah. But because that's a town where the, the, the power structure says, well, whatever we tell you is the truth and all other knowledge is forbidden and it's dumb and stupid and you shouldn't have writing utensils, which we'll talk about more next week. Uh, but in that world, they just tell you, oh, you went to Europe. Look at you, big boy. You went to three places. Look at this, you've ever been wow. Oh, Switz? It's the hidden place.
1: Wow, yeah. actually, how that's a crazy thought, mm-hmm. but I
2: kind of like it. yeah, I can agree <laughs> to that and Thank but you. also, oh, does Cecil love his trip? Yes, yeah, that was the one of the things I think they wrote down. It was like Cecil is so cute and so earnest, and when he's like where he talks about like the, there's is it I think it's in Francia. The roommate
0: he doesn't he doesn't that he that he like like his travel companion that came out of nowhere.
2: Um, there's that one, yeah, and then there's also I think it's in in is it or is it anyway? Um, it's the part where he like goes and tries to get food. Um, And he just, like, goes into this place that's got all of locals, and their mouths are stretched, and they're cartoonish and horrifying, and he tries to, like, say please in their local language. Um, right. And then, he, and then when he walks out, he says, I had not only – and he has to, like, eat, like, a bunch of weird crap that's disgusting and moldy. And then when he <laughs> walks out, he says, I had not only gained a good meal, but a few new good friends. And the people were just, like – he <laughs> ate mold, and people gawked at him. But he was able to, like <laughs> – Say like it was a good meal and good friends. Like it just hasn't ties up that little that little experience. Which is yeah, which is another thing about traveling too, where it's like especially like when you you spend a lot of money and you build up a trip in your mind and you it's like the once in a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and you go there and you only have an okay time, you're like, but it was great. It was really great. I was jet like the whole time they lost my suitcases and I got horribly sick, but it was great because I spent all my money going to Paris. You know, like it's you kind of um Like, yeah, you build it up in your head, too. Like, that was one of the first things when I first started traveling was I I would build up a place so much in my mind that I thought it would know exactly what it was. And I'd get there and it wouldn't live up to my prescription for what it should be. And I'd be disappointed. But when I started to learn to take cities at the experience and not at what I think the experience should be, I had a much better time.
1: I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Because, you know, you can have a fantasy in your head about what a place is like or what the experience is going to be like when you get there or what you're going to do and it's going to be great and all that stuff. But sometimes the simplest things can be the most rewarding, especially when you're traveling abroad and in a place where you don't speak the language. I honestly have the most fun when I'm sitting and having a beer in a local pub or having a nice little snack along my walk and not like going to see the big sites or going to a museum. I, I, They all seem the same. They can be the same, you know? But when you're like, oh, I'm just watching the world go by in a different place, gives you a different perspective. You know, looking at how the people get along along their day with their kids or somebody walking a dog or, you know, uh, having yeah. a sandwich, like what the, that process is or getting on a freaking metro, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's where the adventure lies, I think.
0: Jennifer and I went to Kauai last year for our anniversary, which isn't foreign, but it's just a place neither of us had been before. And we had Mm -hmm. stuff we wanted to do that we talked about, like, let's go see this, X, Y, and Z. But the the best parts of the trip, and I think Jennifer would agree – is were the moments in between, like on the way somewhere we'd find something and then want to come back to it. Like the local, mm-hmm. just sort of the local wandering around and, and being in the place and learning about it just by sort of feeling it out was that's the best way. That to me is my favorite way to travel in general. I have some stuff I want to do, but I really want yeah. to see what's there and kind of wander and have, have very little agenda at all.
2: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Same the uh, first time I went to Paris uh, was I was with Joseph and I hadn't seen him because he was on his big backpacking trip um, mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen him and so we met up in Paris at the end of the tour and uh, at the end of his backpacking trip and I was like built up the trip in my mind and we' like and we had no money and we like spent money to go there and it was cold and Paris was gray, and the streets were covered in dog shit, and my high school and college French was not holding up, and no one would talk to me, and uh, it was just, like, it was just, uh, it wasn't a good time, and I was like, whatever, Paris sucks, and then I went back to Paris again for work, and Joseph and I walked around, went to a bakery, and just kind of, like, walked along the river, and just, I fell in love with the city, it was just, like, once you... Once you stop trying, it feels great. <laughs> yeah, You can't force it. You can't force no, it. You can't yeah. force it. And then like you also, sometimes there's the obligation when you go to a big city like Paris or New York or London, you're like, well, you have to go to this museum and you have to go see this site. And it right. feels like work. And you're like, but I have, you know, I get four days off of work all year and I'm going to spend it on my feet all day looking at art and trying to figure out what the, you know, studying and reading <laughs> names. And when, you know, it's mu- probably just much more relaxing to sit by the side of the Seine for uh, and drink a bottle wine like yeah
1: yeah that's actually one of my favorite things to do (laughs) when I'm there you know I don't need to go to the Arc de Triomphe anymore you know what (laughs) I mean like I did that you know and and not to say that doing the tourist thing is not a thing to do like yeah totally go see that thing go see Stonehenge you know but also take time to just live your life somewhere else
2: Yeah, or find a different way to be a tourist. Like, I remember Cecil, when we were in Paris, he was like, I'm just going to take myself on all of the famous Parisian uh, patisseries. And just, like, he just, like, Mm -hmm. took a day and just went around and just ate a bunch of different patisseries and had the time of his life. Um, Oh,
1: we did that. uh, He came to meet uh, me because after our last European tour, he came to uh, Paris, and we were staying in a Ratatouille sort of Airbnb. It was really lovely. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, We were walking around and he's like, oh, I found all these interesting patisseries. So we went and we just each got one thing. And then we went into a park and sat there and ate pastry, beautiful pastries in a disgusting way um, because we're monsters. And (laughs) it was a lovely day that, you know, the flowers were blooming and like the sun was out and it was just really nice. Yeah, my,
0: my favorite place in Paris is is uh the Jardin de Luxembourg where I'll go and just sit on a bench and just enjoy my surroundings and watch some people and that's That's
1: where we were.
0: Yeah. That's the that's my absolute favorite place in that city. It's beautiful. Uh, wonderful.
1: We should all go to Paris.
2: Let's all go to Paris.
1: I would Let's love to. <laughs> Let's all go. Let's all go.
2: Let's all go to Paris. That'll um, be season
0: two. <laughs> Of this Season two.
2: as we all go to paris, and we uh the, the things we would do the three of us would do to food in Paris, my God
0: oh jeez i oh what that that same uh the last time I was there, which is when I was backpacking through Europe right out of college we we were staying at a hotel that was right near the Moulin Rouge, but we we didn't have a ton of money, like we had some money, but not a lot, so for dinner, I went and got a a a loaf of French bread and a, ch- a rotisserie chicken from like a shop across the way and like yeah, some tomato did. and with my Swiss army knife i carved up the chicken and cut the bread and made little sandwiches for everybody and you know what hey, i i it's can great. remember what it tastes like i remember the flavor as i'm telling you it's watering my mouth cuz i remember really really well the flavor of that meal cuz it felt like an adventure yeah mm-hmm. cutting up a chicken with a pocket knife that's how loveland getting wild
2: yeah i uh also that, that reminds me of several experiences i've had in france where i try to use my pathetic american education french language and try to buy stuff at like farmer's markets and stuff and i always end up with like a lot of cheese <laughs> like more cheese than a person could like eat in the amount of time that they're in france um <laughs> there was a there was a, like a I couldn't remember how to say like less than that or like not that much or like and yeah and also yeah it's it's hard to not get upsold when you don't understand the language <laughs> right
1: <laughs> That's how I think Eliza Rickman and John Bernstein ended up with uh three pounds of of pork in Madrid instead of like. Four ounces.
2: No, it was like, it was 50. They spent 50 euro on pork oh, yes. instead, instead of 15. They thought it was oh 15 God. euro. And then they were like, no, 50 euro. They're like, oh, okay. Here's 50 euro. And they euro. it. Yeah. Well, and they ate it. All that meat. Oh, well, right. you spent $50 on, what was it? We were in uh, Madrid. So it was. Uh, I think it was ibérico ham. Ibérico ham. Yeah. Hamon <laughs> Um There's a, a thing in the fan zone that we're going to get to where, um, one of our fans asked us about food in France, so we'll we'll get there. But we we kind of already did it, but we can do some more <laughs> of it, I'm sure. Yeah, there's more to talk. A couple things that
1: uh, jumped out to me in this episode, um, and I, it keeps. I, this is just one line: the Taco Bell Live Masper. <laughs> okay, first of all, it cracks me up because you guys remember those ads, mm-hmm. right? Like, do those still air like that or are they di- do they have it's a different live,
0: slogan? No. They're still live moss, I'm pretty sure.
1: Okay. But you know what? I think that's an actual like that's a good way to think. It's like live moss, live big, you know? And that is what traveling does for you. It broadens your th- your mind and makes you live a bigger life. I think. Yeah. I think that's I agree. I, I do agree. Yeah. I mean, those of us who are fortunate enough to be able to travel, because um, I know not everyone is, you know, I, I, and I don't take that for granted, but it, I feel like it enriches my life to experience those things and experience where other people live and uh, experience places that I had only seen in pictures and movies and in books. Yeah. Uh, so, live
2: moss, everybody. Yeah. I agree, and not to get all political, but I'm going to get all political. Yeah. Um. A lot of times, I think that the issue that we suffer as Americans is, uh, is not a division, but a lack of empathy. So division's fine; it's okay to have a different opinion than your neighbor. That's normal; it's natural. We're all different people, but it's the lack of understanding that we are all different people, um, and the empathy for someone else's experience that is sometimes lacking and stops us from being able to see each other as human across that division. Um, So, yeah, I think travel definitely helps you imagine a life outside of your own by seeing how other people live their life around the world, around the country. Preach it sister.
1: Yeah.
0: Preach.
2: Even just, yeah. Even just in your city. Like when I lived in New York city, it was like, you know, when I lived in Brooklyn, even in Brooklyn alone, there are so many different ways people are living their life. Um, that you can observe and be a part of or be very, very far apart from. I mean, a Brooklyn Heights brownstone is so much different than an East New York housing project. It's just like they're they're two completely different worlds, and they're three miles apart. They're, you know, so. Yeah. But they're all just full of people, just full of weird ass people. <laughs> um, yeah, travel does help expand that. Um, yeah, so this had, we have the Live Moss. We also, there's a, a little bit of the Talk of the Subway where Simone Murgado is reading off of the Subway. So we have the Taco Bell and the Subway in one episode, which is great because sometimes they're in one store. So,
1: <laughs> isn't that, what's that song? Oh, no, it's a Pizza Hut some, I'm in the Taco
2: Bell. Yeah, there's also some. Sometimes there's the KFC Pizza Hut Taco Bell combination. It's like the yes. triumvirate. Um, you can get all the crunchy foods that you need. Um, I wanted to talk. We often talk about on the show. some one of Symphony's favorite things is that everyone is bad at their jobs. Yeah. Um, and the Nightfall <laughs> Department of Transportation is so bad at their jobs. Um, they're where they're, they're it's work- like
1: a weird covert operation thing yes. because they're like they're like literally activating some sort of sleeper cell. And I was like, the fuck, Silverhawk, Copperhead, and and the gopher activate. Yeah. I repeat, activate. I'm like Whoa, bro, this is over live radio that goes out to the whole town. How many people are, like, it's obviously at least three. Execute mission Alpha November Zulu 013. Lethal
2: parameters acceptable. Yes.
0: Yeah. Execute order 66. That's what's happening here. All the Jedi are going right?
2: to die. Yeah. So the DOT is bad at being a Department of Transportation. They're just, like, closing the road for a reason. But they're apparently very good at this some sort of sinister thing that they're doing, that they're, they're using the the facade of the Department of Transportation as a ruse to execute some sort of thing. Yeah. Um, which is such a, a night fail thing where it's like, this organization that is, you know, the librarian, it is the the city council, it is the this, but it's actually, they're bad at that stuff. But they're really good at the, like, the sinister that is the, the covert yeah yeah it's like covert, they put in,
0: all the sleeper cells are like half awake <laughs> so you can sort of tell like that guy doesn't look like uh he doesn't look like the normal municipal bus driver cuz he's right. got he's got like the shield with the knife through it tattoo and he's sporting like three rifles over his shoulder right like he's definitely and he's looking at me like I get side eye immediately when I walk in like, I am your normal bus driver. Don't worry about me. Execute 41059er. Like,
1: I imagine that. that is very much what it's like every day in Nightville. Like, your mailman could be, you know, they're monitoring you, right? So it's like, like it could just be like, or bees or something could be like, just like microphones or cameras or something like that. Things yep. that would look totally normal that you wouldn't even think about, but you're being monitored and perhaps controlled more likely controlled by these uh, menacing government agencies but yeah so
2: yeah um i like the big news in the science world where science discovered the world's deadliest spider um and then it <laughs> yes. goes on describing how horrible it is and um and then they're like oh sorry that's for next week um and it, it goes into um yeah it goes into the like second person of like they say you are a portrait of agony yes. um, you're sk- so it's like it goes into this whole thing where it's you and then they reveal that it's time travel and that's just what's gonna happen to you next week. never mind, don't worry about it, <laughs> which is great
1: i I feel like that happens a lot uh also in the in the maybe in later episodes, so much, but. Oh, yeah, yeah, when we start getting a little bit more, like, horoscopes and stuff like that. And uh, there's always these unnerving things where it's like, this is actually going to happen to you in the future. But who knows that? Is there, like, a town seer? Is it Seesaw? Well, they have time travel devices. They all have them. Right. But, like, who's reporting back? That's what I'm saying. Tattletales. tattletales. Snitches. Yeah. Well, they're about to get snitches. (laughs)
0: <laughs> up next, we have a conversation with Night Vale creator and the writer of this episode, Joseph Fink. But first, a conversation about this episode's weather: Sneebong by dengue fever.
2: Snybong. Yeah.
0: Snybong. But first, <laughs> fuck me. Uh, sorry, coming up sorry. next. Oh. <laughs> up next, we're going to have a conversation with Joseph Fink. Uh, the man behind this episode. But first, a conversation about this episode's weather, Snee Bong by Dengue Fever. <laughs> Wait, what, did I say it wrong?
2: Snee yeah. I said Snee Bong, didn't I? It's Snee God damn it. Hold on. <laughs> Hang on. Let me put it in there phonetically for you. Uh,
0: no, don't do it. Mm, if sni-bong. I see a change, I'm deleting the whole thing. <laughs>
2: Are you sure? You don't want me to do oh, no, this? No, don't do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Up next a conversation with Joseph Fink, the man behind this episode. But first, a conversation about this episode's weather, "Snibong" by Dengue Fever. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Fun weather. Good stuff. Good song. Uh,
2: first of all, Dengue Fever. Love Dengue Fever. They, yeah. were li- they were a live weather for us at the Largo in 2014. We did our run at the Largo, and we had a different musical guest every night. We had Dengue Fever. I think they were the Friday night. And we did two shows with them, and they ripped it up. Um, they were great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I
2: like the music. It's great to dance too.
1: I don't know if it fit, like many of the other weathers, whether it fit with the episode. But it sure mm-hmm. was a fun song, and it made my my playlist of jams. So,
2: Yeah. Um, it's yeah I love I love this song. I I really like Dengue Fever too. Joseph Fink turned me on to them. Um yeah they they combine 60s and 70s Cambodian rock with psychedelic rock and pop music and um they have a a big band and they I was they, just going to ask how many people is it? I think it's a five piece. I, I, yeah, I, I yeah, there's a the chick is a singer and she's great. She's she's really cool and then there's the other d- dudes in the band. I don't know. She's so great that, that she always kind of was the shining star for me. Um, mm. uh, shout out to everyone else who's in that band, though. You're cool, too. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just cool. And then I I tried to, like, look up what snibong means um, in Khmer, but uh, I had difficulty trying to figure that out. I think it's a slang for love you. That's what the internet was able to, to provide to me. Is that mm. it means. So it's like... Love ya. Yeah. That's what I think. All right. Yeah. That's, that was the end of my research. But uh, if there's someone out there who speaks Khmer, please email us and correct yeah. me if it's wrong. Is it maybe like Lylas? Love ya like a sister?
1: Do you mm-hmm. remember all those things that we used to do in your books? 143. Wait, what's 143? I love you. Yeah. Wait, what? It's the
0: number of letters in each word. Oh.
2: 143, Symphony. 143. Four,
1: I oh one four three you too
0: <laughs> <laughs> one four three y'all
1: oh Hallie Poo oh,
0: that would be one four four I love y'all one four four <laughs> 144.
1: uh well that was a great one I really like uh, Dengue Fever and um are they on an, again or was that recorded at the live one
2: may yeah maybe that was for, I don't remember if we did a second. Yeah, I was wondering if ever they were used to get – well, we don't know. We'll find out. We'll come to across we'll that bridge when we get to it. That's um, right. That's right. Yeah. I remember watching their set from backstage and uh, Dylan and Jessica just dancing their guts out to it and then being <laughs> such good dancers that I was like, wow, this is so fun for me and so special. Um, yeah, I Did could, you also dance? Um, I had just fallen down the stairs and hurt myself, so <laughs> I was just kind of shooting that out. Um, <laughs> But it was nice to see see joy and physicality of others. Um,
0: Wait, was this at but, Largo?
2: Yeah, this was at Largo.
0: Oh, so you went, fell down those like three, four steps? Those are de- three those stairs. stairs. Are deadly. Those are yeah, deadly especially if steps. If you're
2: running down them in heels, yeah. I always maintain that. Dylan pushed me, but <laughs> it's very much in Dylan Maron's character to just show girls, show girls me down a flight of two stairs. Uh, trying to
0: take over. Can't believe. Um,
2: yeah, but uh, I think it's interesting that this is the weather for this episode, because this is, uh, it's Cambodian, it's American, it's world music, it's rock music, it's pop music. So it is kind of this this mashup of, like, uh, world music, and it is for an episode that takes place, like, or has, is memories from outside of the world, and it is, like, has an international bent to it. Yeah, good point. Maybe that's just me. Reading readin', readin deep. No, I like it.
1: Stay right there. Good morning, Night vale. We'll return after a brief break.
3: So, in this um, New Yorker cartoon, there's a baby, and it's throwing food everywhere, just everywhere. And the father's walked in to see this happening. And the mother says, um, she says, he has some food issues. Um.
2: (laughs) If it isn't just the way of it, mothers and food issues. We could do it. We could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Hey, everyone. What you're listening to is Joseph Fink describing a New Yorker cartoon to us over the phone. (laughs)
0: This is the new
3: show
2: today on Good Morning Nightville. We have with us Joseph Fink, who's here to talk to us about a memory of Europe. Joseph, hey.
3: hey, hi there! I'm super excited to be talking to you from um, a basement. I'm I'm about like ten feet below and twenty feet to the left of you.
2: <laughs> yeah, hon.
3: <laughs> that's good. But you're together spiritually. Yeah. yeah, but spiritually, we're we're bonded for life. That's what the law
2: says, babe. I could be in your office in minutes. I could be there in minutes. It doesn't take minutes. Could be there in minutes. Yeah.
3: What? What? What kind of maze? It doesn't take that long. Well. <laughs> I would say a minute and a half if you were hustling.
2: I guess we could find out right now, but instead, <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's, memory of let's Europe. Let's switch
3: mics. Yeah, everybody.
2: Uh, everyone switch <laughs> mics. or will rotate. Uh, so, Joseph, you wrote this episode back in the Lord's Year, 2013. Uh, what was the inspiration for this episode?
3: What was the inspiration for this episode? Um, 2013. Yeah, so um, I went to Europe. I guess I should back up. Like I had been in New York. Um, I had moved to New York 2013. I would have moved to New York five years before that. Mm -hmm. Um, And other than going home to visit my family or going to New Jersey to visit Meg's family, I hadn't really left the city much at all. Um, And I was feeling really... It's it's weird now that um I spend all of my life on the road, but I was feeling like really like I just wanna go somewhere and night Phil, we had sold some T shirts, I think. I like I had like a little bit of savings kicking around at that point. So I spent some of them and went to Europe for like I think it was like three weeks and just did like a real cheap backpack around. I, I I definitely talk about this in the intro to the, or in the intro in the script books, but this is the one thing I can think of in the entirety of Nightville that I definitely wrote absolutely trash um, was the ending, <laughs> was the ending speech to this. It was, it was in Barcelona. I was at this really awful Airbnb and I was very drunk. <laughs> um, and I was starting to go to bed and then I had like, I just suddenly had in my head the whole thing about like, um, the candle, like time is candle wax and it, and it's falling. And then when it hardens, it has the shapes of everything else it could have been. And I was like, this seems pretty good. Let me write it down before I pass out. And so I got up and I wrote like the rough draft of that. I mean, there was a lot of editing once I was sober, but. So the yeah. idea of it came from that. Yeah, and like some the initial language, like I wrote, I wrote a rough draft of it drunk.
1: (laughs) Well, sometimes I feel like uh, you can have artistic uh, fueled the things that are fueled by something else, by other substances, right? I mean Hemingway, right?
3: Yeah, I almost never do though. Like almost like writing is very boring. For It's not like an entertaining or romantic thing for me. It's like a thing I go, I go to work and I write and I'm always sober and it's almost always during the day. And it's just like an office job type thing except that I'm writing weird jokes. Um, <laughs> so I, rare, I rarely am – I'm like I'm not the type to like go get drunk at a bar and write longhand in my moleskin journal. I'm just <laughs> not that kind of writer.
2: <laughs> we, when we first started dating, we used to go get drunk and write in moleskin journals together. Do you remember that?
3: I don't know if I would, like, we would play games where we would, like, do uh, that thing where you alternate sentences. I don't, like, it wasn't like we were trying to write the next great American novel.
2: But I'm sure we did. But we did. (laughs) Yes. Does that mean that
0: somebody would have to find both of the books to have a coherent story? Like, you open one book and you have half of the story and the the other half of each sentence is in the other book?
1: No, I think they're writing in the same book, right? Yes. That is correct. Yes. I'm a little okay. more interested in the I mean, other they idea. They go, like, I'm going to write a sentence and then pass it over. But I, that would actually be a more exciting idea, How? Yeah. <laughs> then it becomes like national treasure.
3: One of the few Welcome to Nightville things I've ever written longhand, actually, now that we're getting into exceptions to how I write, the Joseph Fink corner of this podcast, um, <laughs> uh, the thrilling Adventure Hour crossover because we were on tour – and it was like on a plane and i desperately needed to like respond to one of the ben's drafts and so i was i was like doing a lot of scrawling editing notes into a, like the notebook whatever notebook i did i, I, I don't think it was like a fancy moleskin i think it was probably just like a spiral bound notebook but um mm. i think that like it's it stuck out to me just because i hate writing longhand so much I I grew up on a word (laughs) processor. It's the only way I know how to write. (laughs) Okay.
1: Wait, is a word processor like a computer or is that like one of those electronic – what is that called? (laughs) Keyboard. I'm just wiggling my fingers right now. Yes, an electronic typewriter. Is that the same thing or no?
3: No, word processor is just like the program. So like Word is the most famous one. It's just like the program you write in. Oh, Um, okay. I see As a child, though, I was a real WordPerfect fanatic um, to all my WordPerfect fans out there. Hey, holler, holler. I love WordPerfect. Holler at your boy.
0: (laughs) I was convinced that that Corel WordPerfect was going to be the standard for word processing in the future, and I could not have been more wrong. Like everything (laughs) they did failed. I don't know what – I don't know why because they were like neck and neck with Microsoft. And I think word processing – I
3: refused to use Microsoft for so long because I was such a WordPerfect guy. Right. You even use Quattro for all your uh spreadsheets. Well, now the problem is none of my I mean it's probably a good thing. I don't want to I don't want anyone to read that stuff, but like all of my childhood writing is now in WordPerfect format that absolutely nothing can open. <laughs> <laughs> it's no longer supported.
0: Yeah. There's no way to do it. You could digitize an LP easier than you can open up a WordPerfect document. It just doesn't like it's become uh, it's – I wonder if it's like um uh um, one of those th- – I can't – oh, my God. I can't even think. Time capsule. It's like a – time like in 50 years, they'll come out with software where you can open it up and read all the stuff you wrote when you were a child and WordPerfect existed.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, in old programs or on a floppy if you still <laughs> had something like that. Yeah, the giant floppies though. So, Joseph, you said – so you were in Europe, right? Um and that helped inspire you to write this episode. Um, how did you come up with the names? Like Francia, I can figure out. Like, cool. Schwitz, maybe, but like Lufkarp? Lufnarp. Lufnarp. Okay. Let's talk about that. How are, How did you come up with these names?
3: So often with names. I, I don't have a process I just have a gut feeling Like it just kind of is like This seems like the name um, You know it's the same thing With like Night vale. Like the name Night Vale Came instantaneously with the idea And I don't know where it came from But I was just like It's a town and it's called Night vale. and that was like the initial idea And it's I I honestly don't remember Because it was so long ago But um, That was probably the case with this Where I'm just like It's a made up country It's called like Lufnar <laughs> <laughs> what uh
0: tell me about the hostel experience you had when you were traveling. were you airbnbs or did you actually stay in hostels because i i i backpacked as well i stayed in a series of hostels so that part felt rang very true to me including one that was up on a hill
3: well when i was in um so when I was in college, I did like a little bit of hostel stuff in Europe. Like I went I went for like um, a bit to a, a school in Italy and then from there did some like hosteling. And when you're 20 or whatever, I think I was even younger. I was probably like 18, 19. Uh, when you're that age, hostels are super doable mm-hmm. because you don't need sleep and you don't really know what comfort is yet. Um <laughs> And so I, re- I remembered hostels being fine. Like I would, I would sleep in like straight up the rooms with 24 beds. Like yep. I went like the giant. Yep. Um, Definitely and, did that one. For sure. And then when I went at, how old was I in February 2013? 26, 27, 27, I think.
2: We were,
1: we were 26. Yeah, because you, you'd be 27 in
3: April. Yep. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. So almost twenty-seven. Um, yeah, I I did hostels for like the first two cities, and very quickly learned that I was I had become too old for hostels to be okay. <laughs> um, like part of the problem. Like hostels are great when. You're 18, and you're just like, you walk in, and whoever happens to be in the room, you're like, Hey, let's get drunk. And everyone's like, Cool. And you go to a bar together, and it's like you and a bunch of Canadians. They were always Canadian for some yeah. reason. I got drunk with so many Canadians. Um, it was so, always Australians for me. Yeah, just these super friendly Canadian guys that wanted to talk about hockey after they got drunk. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like once you don't want to do that, hostels become a hell. And so after the first two cities, I started doing, like, just really cheap Airbnbs.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be the old person at a hostel who's like, I just want to read the paper. Where's my tour group, kit here? It's weird. It's very weird.
3: Now, like, I'm like, if I'm not getting loyalty points from some hotel chain, then why am I even sleeping?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the real hustle.
2: Yes, how you have changed. Uh, I remember during this time, because we had moved in together that year. So we lived together like six months, and then you left for like five weeks. And so I had uh, the apartment to myself, and I was stayed at home to work. And, that, and what I did with my free time was I rewatched the entirety of Sex in the City. And I don't even like that show that much. But it just... <laughs> It just felt like the thing to do. Also, when Joseph's gone, I like get on like ex- a, like a like pretty excessive TV binges. Like I, I don't remember was it your first book tour or was it a, a, another time when you were away for a while and I watched like thirty episodes of Frasier just like in two
0: days, like, <laughs> back to back. <laughs> How do you choose which show it's going to be?
2: It's always something that I'm like, oh, this is a show. Like it's. <laughs> Something innocuous, something you don't really care about? Yeah, I mean, I like Frasier, but, like, listen, if you're watching 30 episodes of Frasier back-to-back-to-back, you're not really in it for the content. You're using it as some sort of uh, medicine, I think. (laughs) Uh, Since we're
1: talking a little bit about uh, Book Tour, Joseph, you have one coming up, huh?
2: Yeah,
3: um, this comes out, I think, yeah, I think I will be on Book Tour. Like, I'll be on the third stop of my Book Tour the day this comes out. I think tonight I will be in... Chapel Hill, am I right, Meg?
2: Yeah, you will. You'll be right, because it's, yeah, we'll, the, yeah. So everyone who's there, hey, and then what's tomorrow, if we're in Chapel Hill today? Tomorrow we have, is off, and then Saturday is uh, Lexington.
3: Lexington, and then uh, Chicago.
2: That's where I'll be. With Symphony yeah.
3: Sanders. Ooh. Where yeah. I'll be appearing with Good Morning Night Symphony Sanders. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs>
1: glad Um, we got that that in
3: (laughs) yeah i'm about to do an 18 city book tour for my new novel alice isn't dead which um by the time folks are hearing this will have been out um and i'm excited because i was just talking with how before we started recording that the weird thing about writing books is you like write it and then it comes out like 10 to 12 years later (laughs) you've forgotten what's in the book and you're just like oh okay great finally someone else will get to read this i'm I, it's it's the most personal book I've ever re- uh, written, so I'm, I'm excited for um, people to see it.
1: I have a question about that. So if people have never, I just have been listening to uh, Alice Isn't Dead along with reading the book, and uh, to prepare myself for my interview with you. But do you uh, do you feel like people need to read, um, listen to the podcast before they read the book?
3: Not at all. Uh, it's entirely written to be completely standalone. Like. Um, I wanted it to just, like, I wanted someone who just likes the cover because Rob Wilson designed an amazing cover to pick mm-hmm. it up and be able to understand it completely. I I, I really think of it as, like, the relationship between um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book and the radio drama that was the where it came from. Um, in that, like, they're both written by the same person and they're both vaguely the same story, but they're kind of built from the ground up to be their own things.
2: Yeah. So so Alice Isn't Dead is a story uh, about a road trip, uh, or it's not a story, it is a road trip. What inspires you to write about the road? I mean, I feel like you wrote about the road in memory of Europe, and you've written lots of mm-hmm. other Nightville episodes that are very specific to time and place, and now you have a whole novel that is specific to place.
3: Yeah, I always wanted to be um, a travel writer as a kid. Um, like, I was super into, like, Bill Bryson-type travel writing. Um, and I like, that was kind of like one of my dream jobs as a kid, but it seemed really like impossible to be like, Hey, someone pay me to go on cool vacations and I'll write about it. That seemed like a difficult job to get. Um, but it turns out that if you write a thriller around the travel writing, um, they let you do that. And so <laughs> in a lot of ways, like Alice isn't dead is my like backdoor travel writing book. Cause a lot, a lot of, a lot of the road trip stuff is real stuff that happened to me. Um, except for the monsters, only right. some of the monsters happened.
1: <laughs> Did you,
2: yeah? The monsters are just the personifications of the noisy neighbors at the Hampton Inn,
1: <laughs> and they're all the thistle man,
3: right?
2: Yes, chil- children in the hotel pool, those are the true thistle uh, man.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's humanity at the slowest is when you go to the hotel pool and there's kids in there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did you write this – you started this after It Devours.
3: Yeah, I've been – we've been on a, like, novel year, basically, on top of writing a few podcasts. Um, so we wrote Welcome to Nightville, and then I guess we had a year off, sort of. And then we wrote It Devours, and then um, wrote Alice Isn't Dead last fall. And then I'm working on another novel this fall. It just kind of – it's not intentional, but it's just been turning out that – um Every late summer, fall I'm in like um, deep deadline territory for a novel.
0: Do you feel like the, the further you go and now you're you know, when you're working on a new novel now, having written a few, does it get I, I know each story has its own challenges, but do you feel like you're you're a little bit more tuned in or dialed in to, to what it takes to when you're delivering drafts? I mean, is that is that process get any easier for you?
3: It's always, I mean, it has its ups and downs. There's days where it's easy and there's days where you really have to pull teeth. Um, I know I can do it now, which is helpful. Like when I was writing, when we were writing the first Welcome to Night vale novel, you know, there's the real question of like, we've never done this. Uh, can we? Um, and there's, you know, so when it, when the writing wasn't going well, there was this real feeling of like, oh shit, maybe we can't. Um, and, but now with like, you know by the time we're on the novel we're writing now, you know I just know that there's days where it doesn't go well, and that doesn't mean I can't do it. It just means that today's one of those days where it's gonna be hard, and it'll be easier a different day and and eventually after enough of those days, it'll be done um you know you just have the confidence of knowing uh, uh, <laughs> Meg Meg said to me recently when I was like worrying about how little time I have left to finish this novel um she was like she was like have you ever not landed the plane um (laughs) which is true but there's like different levels of smooth landings and so sometimes you sometimes you do like have like the fire trucks come out because you like crushed the wheels into the ground but listen it's still on the ground
0: (laughs) everybody's getting off the plane
3: everyone's getting off this plane okay (laughs)
1: <laughs> Do you find that the process of writing an episode like the Mem- Memories of Europe um versus writing a book are different for you or is the the baseline process the same?
3: Well, yes and no. Like the baseline process is still just getting a word, the words out, right? Like you you have a word count goal and you start writing for that and that's the same. But because episodes can be whatever you want them to be, like this one doesn't have that much of a story it's just kind of some riffs on the idea of um backpacking through Europe mm. um, and so yeah, there's a little more like with with a with an episode, you can riff a little bit, you can just be like i don't know i'm just gonna there's been lots of episodes where I've gone into an episode with just a very vague idea or just a phrase, and just kind of built on that and seen where it went. Um, And with a novel, you know, it's such a giant structure that has so many moving parts, especially when I'm writing, you know, Alice Isn't Dead, I wrote on my own, but everything else has been co-written with Jeffrey. And that, that means that when we were kind of, we never write in the same room, so we're building these huge structures separately. And then when we get together, they have to fit together. Um, Mm. And so, so, yeah, there's just a lot more to think about. There's constantly like, am I making sure to set up this thing that's going to be important 10 chapters from now? And let me double check what this character is supposed to be like because I want to make sure that when Jeffrey's half comes in, that character doesn't completely change personalities. There's just a lot more complicated things to think about.
0: How do you deal with the project management of it all? Because it seems like you're always writing – you're writing multiple things at all times – do you, have to, do you have to develop a system to deal with it? Or is it just like, I know I have to get it done, so I'm going to get it done by whatever date it needs to be done?
3: Well, my system is, as the deadline approaches, I start panicking and I get really into something like The Witcher 3. Yes. And then I just play that instead of writing. Great. Um, is, is the system. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I just do my best to stay on top of it. There's gotten to be more of them, obviously, now that there's a lot more projects happening. But since June of 2012, when Night vale started, I have been writing to a deadline every single month of the year for, uh, what, six, some six and a half years. Yeah, I've just gotten used to that, which also means, like, I, I, I part of the luck of it is I think this is just kind of just naturally how my brain works. I tend to write very quickly. I think comparatively, I know there's like people who, if they feel like if they get out like 500 to a thousand words in a day, um, then that's a huge triumph. And like, it is like for the way that they write, that's just kind of the building block they have. Uh, but on a good day, I can do anywhere from 4,000 to 8,000 words, um, so that's a lot of words, a ton of words. Yeah. So the, my good days kind of make up for my bad days. Like if I have a bad day where I only get like 400 words out, then I'm going to make up for it on a day that I write 5000. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd be able to juggle this many deadlines if my brain just didn't work in a way that allowed me to write very quickly.
2: Yeah. I also mean, just from watching you, from being a person who lives with you, is that you work at it constantly. And even before you were writing to a deadline that was like for paid work, you always were like you'd get up at 630 in the morning and just be working on some sort of piece of writing. And that was like at the time you you didn't know what that writing was for, but that writing was really just a a training ground for when you would be kind of doing this professionally and and needing to be churning out 6000 words a day at a clip. So
3: yeah, I mean, that was sort of the thing is is I've wanted to be a professional writer since I was four years old, and someone told me what they were, and so yeah, I mean, it seems it's very not like me now, Meg and I have like a nice eight thirty a m wake up eight eight thirty to you know nine thirty wake up um, but like I just figured, listen. Uh, if I, if I actually want to be a writer, then I got to do it. And that means I would just, yeah, I would get up like at like six in the morning or whatever and write for an hour before work. Um, because I just figured if I, if I didn't do that and then I kept not doing that and then I did, didn't do that for years, then it, I just would never be a writer. It just, it wasn't going to magically change. And so I had to, I, I just kind of forced myself to do that early on. Um, yeah, it's. It's weird because I feel like I have – I must have good work ethic because I get so much stuff done. But I wonder if that comes out of the fact that I always feel lazy. Like I never feel like I'm doing enough. I never feel like I'm (laughs) on top of it. Um, I always feel like I didn't do enough and I'm wondering if that's part of the reason I get so much done because I'm always – I never feel – there's never a moment where I'm like, cool, I've done it.
2: Yeah, there's no finish line. I think that's something that we always need to remember that like it's just this is just something you do now. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, they're like they we're just they're just gonna keep moving, you know, the carrot on the stick, right? Like
1: it's like a thing you do every day, like brushing your teeth or you know, getting up and taking a shower or making a smoothie.
3: Yeah. I just did an event with a writer named Melissa Broder, um, and she was talking about how she writes which is uh she literally um as she takes runs or drives around cuz she lives in LA um she just has like the voice memo on her phone like the like text the speech to text right. and she just is just kind of shouting stuff at it and like it's not really it's not like she's dictating a novel she's just kind of shouting text at it that seems interesting to her um because if you do that long enough you get just a pile of words that she can then kind of come to and start shaping into like structure. But before she can do that, she needs just like a lot of raw material. So, and so I feel like it doesn't really matter what it is you're doing. Like, even if what you're doing is um, shouting funny observations about your sex life into your phone while you're taking a run, (laughs) if you do that every day, eventually you'll have built something.
0: Uh, I, I want to talk about something from, from this episode. Uh, which, which is the part that you that you drunk wrote <laughs> originally or drunk conceived of? Because it uh, really resonated with me in a way I didn't expect. Just because I, I guess it kind of touched on a lot of uh, the way I feel about looking backwards into your life. Because I think I can get trapped in in nostalgia, which is not a very good thing. Because it's never what you remembered is never what actually happened it's whatever your idealized right. version of it is and you you can sort of get get bogged down in that and and then forget where you are and not be looking at where you're going. Looking back now uh even if even given how it was conceived and then going back and and writing it is that something that that you believe or is it more just this is an interesting way to look at it? What what's your feeling on on looking back and and sort of the memories you have?
3: I mean, I think I think the metaphor stands. Like I was in my, I was kind of coming to my late twenties and I was melancholy cause I was drunk and my girlfriend was, um, quite far away. And so I was mm-hmm. kind of just by myself and drunk. Um, and so you do start like just thinking through your life up to that point. And yeah, I think a, a tough thing you start realizing in your twenties that maybe, you know, when you're 20 or whatever, if you're lucky, like if you haven't, been forced into any number of situations by poverty or by like where you live, then you have this feeling of like, oh, my life could go any number of directions. Like not not all of them are great, but like I just, there's a lot of possibility here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lesson you start coming to learn is that every choice you make closes off every other choice you could have made, um, which is just how life works. But it is like this like tough lesson your twenties teaches you is that your options become less and less um, as your life solidifies. And that's good. It means that you're making a solid thing for yourself. Um, But you pretty quickly, you know, if you've done a good job making a solid thing for yourself, then you pretty quickly reach a point where you don't have a ton of possibilities in front of you. You have like three possibilities. And they're the three possibilities you were aiming for. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of thinking about, When you look back at your life, a lot of it is what you're looking at, like, directions it could have gone. Uh, You know, when I was 20, I think, I applied to be a writer for the video game company BioWare. I was super into their Mm -hmm. games at the time. And I actually, like, got – I don't know how far into the interview process because I don't know how many stages. But I got, like, a a few stages into their application process. And it would have – it was a job in Austin, Texas, um, which I had never been to, although now that I've been there, I know I would have liked it. Um, and so mm-hmm. there's like this other life where I got hired to write for video games and moved to Austin, Texas and never met Meg and never made Night vale. And I don't know what that life was, but um, like um, the the person at Bioware that decided not to hire me changed my life for the better. Um, but yeah, you just think of, you start thinking about like, that as things solidify, you can still see the shape of everything else that could have been in, in, that, in that like solid record of what did happen.
0: It seems like that happens most often when, when you are sad because you're like, oh, things, are, things feel terrible right now. So I have to go back and figure out what my sliding doors moment was where if mm-hmm. I had just made it onto the train or if I had not made it onto the train, everything would be okay. But I, I think uh, you're, what you're saying right now with this story, I, I totally agree with too, which is, you know, it's good to, in moments where you feel like things are going well and you're feeling positive, to also look back and be thankful that whatever choices and whatever things have happened, that everything's gotten you to this point. So that is, that is as much a good thing when you're happy as it can be feel like a terrible thing when you're sad.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was just having a very similar conversation with um, John Darneal on the podcast I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, also on the Night vale Presents Network. And um, we were talking about this very thing, like this idea of the choices you make, even the ones that maybe weren't good choices, they lead you to where you are now. Um, and it, it came from, so um, my Welcome to Nightville co-writer, Mr. Jeffrey Cranor, uh once wrote this thing about... How if he, you know, if he could go back and change anything in his life, he wouldn't, because he likes his life. You know, he he loves his wife, he loves what he does, and he doesn't know if he changed anything at all, if he would be able to find his way back there, um, even the stuff that wasn't good at the time. And so that's one way of looking at it. But then John Darnielle had a really interesting counterpoint to that, which is, you know he went through some really rough times where he hurt people. Um, You know, he was a drug addict and he did things that really weren't okay. And he was like, I would give up the happy life I have to make that stuff right. Um, So maybe, yeah, I I think that is a completely valid counterpoint that maybe even though if you went back and fixed things, you'd lose what you have now. um, Maybe it would be the right thing to do, to do right by the people That you heard. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And then
2: I have the thing where I'm so uh, intense and controlling that I would go back in in time and do it all the exact same way just so that I know that I made the choice and it was me who decided (laughs) that this is what my life is. (laughs) So that there is no fate that I was the one who threw the hammer down and got to make the choice to get me here today and that it was all very definitive and planned. So you would just
3: do all the same things but while screaming there is no God.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> deep combos, deep combos with Joseph Fink. So Joseph Fink, um, let's lighten it up. We're so excited that you have the Alice book coming out. We're uh, the, the, so excited for the world to get to read it and to to hear those stories. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess let's have have a fun question. What's your favorite road food? What do you like to eat on the road? Oh, yeah.
3: What do I like to eat on the road? Well, as you know, I mean, lots of things. Way too many things. <laughs> but my all-time favorite show dinner, like on an event night, is a Greek salad Ooh. with grilled chicken. That like you, you take me to a place that has Greek salad with grilled chicken on the menu, baby, I will eat it. Um, <laughs> so that's that's my my like road show dinner.
2: It's good. It gives you a healthy skin and coat. <laughs> <laughs> um all right. Do you have anything else you'd like to to tell to tell the world about before we uh, move boldly forward to the rest of our night?
3: Uh, no, um, I'm gonna go um, play uh, a video game now. But you all keep recording a great episode, and I can't wait to hear it.
2: All right. Huh. Bye, Joseph. Love you. Bye. Thanks, buddy. Bye, Thanks for everyone.
1: being with us. Bye. Bye. Yeah, bye.
2: Hey, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Next week, we're going to be talking about The Whispering Forest, where we hear from Night Vale listeners about their theories, questions, and comments. As always, good morning, Night Vale. Good morning. Good Morning Night Vale is a Night Vale Presents production. It is hosted by Symphony Sanders, Hal Lublin, and Meg Bashwinner. It was edited and mixed by Vincent Cachione. It is produced by Meg Bashwinner. Theme music by Disparition. Special thanks to our guest this week, Joseph Fink. Leave us a voicemail at 929 929- or email us at info at goodmorningnightvale.com to share your theories and ask questions or to tell us that you have a plan to vote on November 6th even if you live in a country that's not holding an election on November 6th even if you are under the voting age even if you are a sentient patch of haze make a plan to vote this show is powered by our patrons. If you're interested in supporting this show in exchange for lots of fun, exclusive, insider, hyper-cool kid content, check us out at patreon.com slash goodmorningnightvale. For more information on this show, go to goodmorningnightvale.com and follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at NightvaleChat. Chat. Special thanks to Christy Gressman, Jeffrey Craner, and Adam Cecil. Today's adverb is snuggly. All bears are snuggly. If you can run fast enough.
3: Hey, y'all, it's Jeffrey Craner. So, I do another fiction podcast called Within the Wires, which are stories told through the guise of found